0: As those of you who listen regularly to our podcast know, we just finished a series entitled A Man After God's Own Heart. This was a series about David's early life up until he ascended to the throne of Israel. In today's sermon, we find David on his deathbed speaking his last words. And what are these last words of the man after God's own heart? They are words that speak of the great covenant of grace that was David's only hope and only desire. Join us today as we look at the last words of David and we'll see that David's hope is our hope as well. But first we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Poor, weak, 2 Samuel chapter 23, we begin reading in verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said. Now, I want you to notice here what we have. We have essentially the same kind of thing that we found in Joshua chapter 24, how that um, these were the, those were the last words of Joshua. These are the last words of David. And we tend to attach special significance to last words, don't we? Uh, As you know, I make my living in the legal system and in the law, there's even an exception to the hearsay exclusion that allows the last words, the dying declaration of someone to be introduced into evidence over a hearsay objection. Generally speaking, hearsay, that is a statement made out of court asserting some fact or truth can't be used in court. But one exception is, is if someone makes a dying declaration, if they've been shot, for instance, or they are on their deathbed and they recognize that their life is coming to an end, those words are admissible in court. Well, these are the last words. This is the dying declaration of King David. And he goes on here to lay out his uh, his credentials if you will David the son of Jesse we know this is exactly who he was and the man who was raised up on high we remember the situation where uh, he started out as just a little shepherd boy that was insignificant he wasn't even he wasn't even thought of as significant by his own father. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint a new king, uh, you know, uh, Jesse understood what was happening. He knew there was something up, and he he called all of his sons together except David. (laughs) David was just too insignificant. There's no way it could be him. He left him out shepherding the sheep. And, of course, you know what happened is that Samuel, through the inspiration of God, God told Samuel, it's none of these and Samuel said, "You got another one somewhere." He said, "Ah, oh, yeah, there's David. <laughs> you know, he's out taking care of the sheep." He said, "Well, I'm not leaving till you call him." And when he came in, he was the smallest, he was the youngest, he was the least kingly of all, and yet God said, "This is the man that I've chosen." And we find later on that he was called a man after God's own heart. Paul the apostle uh, preached that on, in the 13th chapter of Acts that he was a man after God's own heart and he was raised up on high there's no way he should have won the battle between himself and Goliath there's no way that was uh, you know we, we we say it today we use that terminology today it's a David and Goliath battle you know why we say it's a David and Goliath battle because there really was a David and Goliath battle <laughs> and in that situation more than any other situation that little 16 or 17 year old shepherd boy should not have won against a giant who was a warrior from his youth. And yet God lifted him up on high and he, he calls himself the anointed of the God of Jacob. He is the one uh, through whom, uh, if you remember back over in the last part of Genesis when uh, Jacob was blessing his, uh, uh, his, his, grand, his, his children, uh, he talked about Judah and how that the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh came. Shiloh being a reference to Christ. David was uh, of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of Judah. He was the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Let me just say this to you. I know we got this macho idea of who men ought to be, okay? And, and, and I get that. Men ought to be men. You know, in our day, we've got a lot of blurring of the lines. I get that. But it's okay, men. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to show emotion. It's okay for you to also be known as a sweet psalmist. It's okay, you see. It's okay. You know, this, this idea of I'm too stout and staunch and stalwart to ever show any emotion. Now look, religion, church, is not about emotion. You know, I, I understand the problem that the world has gotten into that, They'll pray, many preachers will pray upon your emotions. They'll try to get you to make a decision by scaring you or upsetting you or making you emotional in the plea. And and, and I get that. That's a ditch that we need to stay out of. But the other ditch is we never show any emotion. Now, I want to tell you what Brother Ricky Harcrow said one time. He said, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion you can't feel. <laughs> it's not all about feelings, but Beloved, we can feel the presence of the Lord here. We can feel the Spirit of the Lord moving among us from time to time. And this sweet psalmist of Israel was not afraid to show his love for God and his love for his fellow man. And it's okay for us to do that. This is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He is about to give us his last words. But there's more to it than just this. Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. See, these aren't just David's words. These aren't just David's words that we're about to hear. Not only is he the the man David, but this is one who is moved by the Holy Ghost. What did Peter tell us? He said, uh, prophets of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We're told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it's it's God-breathed. And this is Scripture. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is something that I believe, something that is coming from me, but it's also coming from God. It's not just me. You know, that's one thing about these authors, these uh, writers, rather, of the Scripture. God used them and their experiences to to write the Bible. You know, he didn't just divorce them from their circumstances. Many of the Psalms are heartfelt pleas from from David. They're they're David pouring out his heart before God based on some experiences he had. But remember that even though the writer may be David, the writer may be Paul, the writer may be some other one of these uh, writers of one of these books of the Scripture, the author is God. It has many writers, the Bible does, but it has one author, and that's God. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. The God of, just in case you missed it, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake by me, spake to me, rather. So what He's telling us here is something that's important. Now look at what He's about to say, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. He that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. David, first of all, lays out the standard. Now Now, before we go any further, you may say to me, well, this is talking to a king. He's a ruler. This is talking to rulers, right? Well, I want to say to you this morning, child of God, every one of you here is a ruler. Now, you may have authority in this life. You may have authority in the church, as an elder does. An elder has some authority in the church, spiritual authority, okay, if he's following the Word of God. You may have authority in your place of work. You might even have someone who's a child of God that's the president of the United States or or a king sitting on a throne somewhere. But this is not just talking about kings and priests. You see, over in the book of Proverbs... The, 11th, uh, the 16th chapter, we read about a man that is ruling over his own spirit. Proverbs 16 and verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. You're a ruler, child of God. You, you may be a ruler among men, but you're always a ruler of your own spirit. And you're either ruling it or you're not. Proverbs 25 in verse 28 says this, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I like that analogy because it tells me that if you don't rule your own spirit, if you don't have control of your temper, of your personality, of, of the way that you approach other people and the way you deal with people, if you don't have rule over your own spirit, you might as well just go ahead and give up. <laughs> what happens with a city in that day that, that, that's broken down and without walls. The enemy can just march right in and take it. I know people who, are, uh, who have great tempers. They have a short fuse. They're, they're men of great wrath. And you know what happens? Every single time that they don't rule their spirit, the enemy marches right in and takes over them. Look at, look at Proverbs 19 and verse 19. You know people like this. You may be this way. I have a struggle with things like this, okay? We all do to some extent. But look at verse 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. You know, I've rarely, in fact, I've never been ashamed of something I didn't say. Have you ever been ashamed of something you didn't say? (laughs) I've never been ashamed of something I didn't say, but I've been greatly ashamed many times of things I have said. Now, it's not always public, okay? Sometimes it has been. I've told you some stories about that. Sometimes it's between me and my wife. (laughs) Praise God, the Lord gave me a patient wife. I'm so thankful for that. We've been married nearly 31 years, and... One thing that I've tried to learn through the 31 years is there are times when I don't need to speak all my mind. (laughs) There are times when I just need to sit silent. There are times when I need to not react in anger even though I might be upset about something. You know, I've got to say, I don't want you to think that She's always provoking me. In fact, I don't think Sherry has ever provoked me. It's always been because of something else that provokes me at work. I've come home angry already. I come home stressed out already. And um, I can remember (laughs) I always confess to y'all. I can remember a time when um, I'd had a particularly bad week. And and we were having a family get-together, mom and dad. And I, I don't remember if Tim and them were there, but it was... Kids were young and, you know, and, and I'd finally gotten down. We'd sat down at the table and we were eating and it was just loud. You know, it just somebody was talking constantly, daddy this, mama this, mama, mama, you know, and somebody was saying something. All of a sudden, and she, Sherry looked at me and said, as I was sitting there, she said, do you want the peas or something like that? Well, in the midst of all that, when she said, do you want the peas, I said, what? <laughs> and everybody got quiet all of a sudden. And I was like, Oh. Did I really say that? Well, I really said that. (laughs) And I had to really apologize because I reacted. I, I I let my spirit go. I was not ruling over my spirit like I should have been. And next thing you know, I've made a fool out of myself. And I've let the enemy conquer me. See, that's what he's talking about here. You are a ruler. So listen to this. Rulers. He says, he that ruleth over men, even if that man is your own self. Must be just. That word just means righteous. That word just means uh, perfectly correct. Okay? Ruling in the fear of God. Ruling in the fear of God. Brother Kenneth had just told us about the moon and how it goes through phases. i got to tell you, I go through phases. There's not every day I'm ruling in the fear of God. Sometimes I'm ruling in the fear of men. Okay? Sometimes I'm ruling according to my own passions, according to my own lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. So I'm not always getting it right. And you know what what the Bible says about that? You see, David set the standard here. He said, if you're going to be a child of God, if you're going to, you know, essentially, if you're one of God's children, then the only way... That you can be a child of God. The only way that you can justify yourself, if you will, is that you get it all just right. James tells us this. You say, well, I, hey, preacher, I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't, I've controlled my tongue this week. Okay, have you always gotten it all just right? James says that if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. So maybe you're doing pretty good right now. Maybe everything's going pretty well. Maybe you've been a pretty good person in your life compared to others. But the problem is others aren't your measuring rod. This is your measuring rod. You've got to be just. You've got to get it right every single time. And if you do, look at, the, look at the blessings. Now, I believe these are, are, are blessings that we can enjoy here in this life when we do get it right. But also understand from an eternal perspective, which I believe David's speaking from here, if you, you've got to get it all just right in order for you to be the light of the morning when the sun rises. And it's a tender gra- even a morning without clouds is a tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. In other words, if you can just get it all right and do it perfectly, then you can experience these blessings. But i got a problem. I don't get it just right. I just told you about one situation. And please don't go to her and talk to her about it anymore, because she's got so many to talk to you about. We'll be late for church tonight, or whatever we're going to tonight, actually. But you see, I'm thankful that the Bible is an honest book. And it doesn't tell us about super saints. It doesn't tell us about super Christians. Now David, remember this, David is a man after God's own heart. He's the only person in Scripture called that. Nobody else. He's a man after God. I preached a series about that back in 2017. A man after God's own heart. But notice what David says in verse 5. Although my house be not so with God. I am so thankful he put that in there. I am so thankful... That the word of God didn't gloss over the troubles that David had. They didn't gloss over his faithlessness when Saul came after him and he fled like a scared rabbit when he should have stood in the strength of his faith as he did before Goliath. I'm thankful that it tells us about the time when he went down to a man named Nabal, who was whose name literally means fool, literally means a uh, man of Belial, and, 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 and he went down there because he made him mad and he was going to kill him. He had just spared Saul. If you go back over there in 1 Samuel, you'll see he 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 had just spared his great enemy, Saul. He had been magnanimous. He had been charitable. And the very next chapter, this man named Nabal insults him. And David says, I'm going there and killing every one of you. I'm killing every male in your your troop. And praise God for a sweet soul named Abigail, Nabal's wife, who came to David and assuaged his anger and explained to him and reminded him That vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, and kept him from doing something he would regret later. I'm thankful, as sad and heart sick as it may make us, I'm thankful that he tells us about the affair that he had with Bathsheba. I'm thankful that it tells I'm not thankful for the affair, but I'm thankful it tells us about it. Because you see, David didn't just commit adultery with Bathsheba, he also had her husband murdered. I've said this many times. I could have prosecuted him for for capital murder for what he did over there. But I'm also thankful it shows us how repentant he was. And I'm thankful for the 51st Psalm where he tells us how repentant he was and how heartbroken he was. I'm thankful for this verse right here. Although my house be not so with God. Because you see, I can't identify with a super saint. I can't identify with a super Christian. That's living above sin and never committing any acts, even in their mind, of of, of sin. I can't identify, but I can identify with this man. I can identify with him. And you see, there's a reason that this man, even though he is a ruler and should be acting justly in every situation and in every way, there's a reason that this man is in heaven today. And it's not because he was so good. Notice what it says, although my house be not so with God yet, praise God for the yet's of the word of God. (laughs) Praise God for the yet's of the word of God. Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Isn't it wonderful to know that the same covenant that David was rejoicing in is the same covenant that we can rejoice in today. Isn't that glorious? No, let's look at that covenant just for a minute. Let's look at it. Look at, look at here. He says, "Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, an everlasting covenant. So you see, the covenant that we have is an everlasting covenant. Now, that's not the covenant taught by the world. The covenant taught by the world is a covenant that doesn't begin until you do something, and it might end if you do something else. That's not everlasting. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You know, I just, I'm just simple enough to believe that. I believe eternal is eternal, and that means it never ends. If it could be lost, if, it could be, if you and I could do something to lose it, it wouldn't be eternal. It would just be temporary. And it would be contingent. But he said it's everlasting. Uh, we read about over in Jeremiah, I believe it is chapter 31, that he has loved us with an everlasting love. He has loved us with a love that never ends. John 3.16 talks about eternal life. And by the way, that's that, that verse there, Whosoever believeth in, in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life, is not a verse of condition. It's a verse of position. It's not giving us a condition to meet. It's telling us a position we're in. If you're here this morning and you trust him and you believe in him, guess what? That means you have everlasting life. You're not going to get it. If you keep on trusting, you're not going to get it when you start trusting. You already have it. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. Not going to get it. He's got it. That's why they believe in the first place, you see. It's everlasting life. And we're told over in the Psalms that that his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. You know, I think about that as sort of like a timeline. You know, you got the present right here. And you got the future on this end and the past on this end. And it goes all the way back to infinity, eternity past. And it goes all the way out to eternity future. We're told his mercies are from everlasting, that is everlasting past, to everlasting, that is everlasting future. Otherwise, what does that mean? From everlasting to everlasting. Isn't that, isn't that what it means? Isn't that glorious? <laughs> isn't that amazing? It's an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant. And By the way, it's not a covenant between God and man. Notice over in Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm chapter 2, it starts off... Asking, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You know, we're seeing the heathen rage today. We're seeing people imagine very vain things today. They imagine things like that gender is not what it is. That there's not just male and female. There's all sorts of other blurred lines out there. People are imagining vain or empty things today. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. I don't think I've lived in a day when that's more prevalent than it is today the kings of the earth the rulers our government itself is trying to cast off the lord and his anointed and saying we don't want what he's got we don't want those restrictions we want to do what we want to do and you see where it's getting us don't you and by the way it says here that he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh i get angry i do i i I admit it i get frustrated i watch CNN, Fox News, any of the other news outlets, I just get mad. I read that some legislator has done something crazy again up in Washington. And I get mad. You know what God does? God's not mad. He's laughing. (laughs) He's laughing. Maybe we ought to be laughing at him. (laughs) That's so crazy. He said, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have him in derision. And then he shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Now, here's, here's what I wanted to get to. Verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, look at verse 8. Does it say, ask the heathen, ask the heathen if they want to be your inheritance? That's not what it says. Ask of me. I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, I know some of this is a reference to the end of time when he's going to cast the wicked aside. But some of it, beloved, is a reference to the great covenant of grace where he breaks us with a rod of iron. I want to tell you, beloved, that he had to break my proud soul. He had to break my my ungodly spirit. But he did it with a rod of iron. He didn't ask me. He didn't put it in my hands. There was a covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it was an everlasting covenant. Notice also, it was ordered in all things. That word, ordered there literally means to set in order, and that means it just wasn't haphazard. It wasn't some chance-based covenant, okay? You know, we're told in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, He hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. This, this tells me that something was planned. You know, some, I've talked to one or two people that believe that God wasn't sure what Adam was going to do, and when Adam did what he did, God had to just react to it and come up with something to fix the problem. God knew all along what Adam was capable of, and he knew what he would do. He didn't make him do it, but he knew what he would do. Beloved, the, the, the purpose of God and eternal salvation did not come to pass after Adam fell. It was already purposed before the foundation of the earth. Notice, it was ordered in all things. Now, the world would have us to believe that there's at least one thing that it's not ordered in, and that is ultimately whether it applies to you or not. Ultimately, that's not ordered. It's up to you. But beloved David had a hope in an eternal salvation and an everlasting covenant that was ordered in all things. We read about this over in the book of Romans. I know the book of Romans, sometimes Romans eight twenty eight 28 is, is used in a way that I don't believe it was intended to be used. Uh, but, uh, but, but we won't get into that this morning. But I'll just say this, Romans eight twenty eight is a precious verse that ought to be precious to us as primitive Baptists. He says, we know that all things, you remember what we just read? It's ordered in all things. What all things are we talking about here? Are we talking about every time somebody gets drunk and has a wreck or hits and kills somebody. No. That's not the all things. You've got to know what the all things are. All things without exception. God, well, it's just God's will. Everything that happens is God. No, that's a lot of stuff that happens. It's not God's will, child of God. And by the way, it says all things work together for good. I want to just say to you emphatically this morning, God and Satan are not working together. You go back to the book of Job. It tells us some basic truths in that first book ever written in the scripture. We find out there's an entity that loves a people. There's an entity for good in this universe and there's an entity for evil in this universe. God is the entity for good. Satan is the entity for evil and they are not working together. They're at cross purposes, child of God. Just think about your own spirit. Think about your spirit. You know, the spirit of the flesh. It said the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to another. When Sherry tells me I'm being contrary, she's not praising me. <laughs> she's not saying, oh, you're, you're doing, we're working together. No, we're working at cross purposes. If I'm being contrary, if one of my children was being contrary and we had to discipline them, it wasn't because they were working with us. They were working against us, you see. But here's the, here's the beauty of this. this don't, don't misunderstand. I, this verse here is often used as a provident, providence verse. It's not a providence verse. There's, there's providence in the Word of God. But this verse is talking about something much greater. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What things are we talking about? He's about to tell us. You know, we often hear people read this verse and they never get to verse 29. But I want to share with you verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't ever let anybody tell you you're part of the chosen few. It's a multitude that no man can number out of every kindred and nation and tongue and people. Everywhere you go, you find children of God. Some of them don't understand the truths of God's Word. Some of them never heard the gospel message. But praise God, they're part of this covenant, this everlasting covenant that is ordered in all things. Look at the order. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, then He also called, whom He called, then He also justified, whom He justified, then He also glorified. There's nothing left out. It is ordered in all things. All things. And sure. Oh, I like that. And sure. It's an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. And that word sure literally means guarded or kept. We read about in Acts 13 the sure mercies of David. And we're told that those sure mercies of David is a reference to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how sure your salvation is? It's as sure as the resurrection of Christ. Because you see, it's, and it's sure, it's, if it was based upon what I did or what you did, it wouldn't be sure. You know, I've, I've done many things in my life that I thought were just right and they turned out to just fall apart completely after I got done with it. It's, it's not sure. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 12, we read, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Sanctified just means set apart. That's all it means. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. You see, that's what he's talking about there. We read over in Second Timothy, I believe it is a second chapter and nineteenth verse that the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. So what does David say as we bring this to a close? He said, my house isn't right with God. I've messed it up. But my hope is in this everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. You see, what he's saying here is basically this. This This covenant is all I have, and it's all I want. I want to tell you this morning, The only hope I have is in this everlasting, ordered, and sure covenant. And that's all I want. Because I know me better than you know me. And I know that I could not make anything about this covenant sure if it was left up to me. But I can tell you this. I can trust the one who, from the very first declaration of the covenant, back in Genesis 3.15, he said... Talking to the seed of the woman, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know what? There's a shall in there. That means it's going to come to pass. Matthew 121, there's a shall. He shall save his people from their sins. The last words of David were to declare his confidence, his trust, his hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness praise god for the shed blood of the lord jesus christ the everlasting ordered and sure covenant that we can preach here today and we can rest on every day thank you for joining us today on the zion primitive baptist church podcast i hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth join us again tomorrow for another message of god's sovereign grace If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com.